if you're, if you're kind of new to Christ's covenant, one of the tools that we use, and this is really what we've been talking about the last several weeks, to talk about kind of who we are as a church, our map for who we are as a church is, is what we call our covenant wheel. And really what the covenant wheel does is it kind of captures in, in one image uh, our core convictions, our values as a church, and, and what we call these rhythms or behaviors, these, these covenant commitments that we have made to one another that we really just believe are a part of walking out the Christian life. Now, if you're new to Christ's covenant, you may not have picked up on this. And maybe if you're old at Christ's covenant, you still haven't picked up on this, but we have a little bit of a kind of a liturgical rhythm in how we talk about these things. And so every year around January, we spend time talking about personal devotion. We, we want you to make a commitment to get into the word, to read the word of God on your own in a, in a personal devotional time. And so this year we talked about that in, in January, we had Michael Kruger come and, and he gave um, a whole lecture on the canonicity of scripture and hopefully just kind of encouraging you and lifting up your confidence that God has revealed himself in his word. Um, you know, we, we, every August we have a time where we talk about family worship. That's kind of a rhythm that we go through in August. In November, we talk about supporting the church. So all through the year, we've been, we've been talking about our Reach the World conference that we have coming up. Um, as we see down here, that's coming up in March. So that's a part of our rhythm. And we talk about what does it mean to obey the Great Commission and to engage all nations for the glory of Christ. But at, at this time of year, every year in February, we, we spend time talking about relational discipleship. Now, it's been kind of confusing because we're in this series where we're talking about all of these all at once. But, but Every February, September or so, we talk about the importance of relational discipleship, engaging with other believers. Now, last week it worked out very nicely because that was the sermon in the series that we were actually going through. But I just want to encourage you to this end. This is the last week that we're kind of emphasizing relational discipleship. Uh, and we talked about it last week. If you weren't here, I'd encourage you to even listen to that sermon. But, but if you're not in a group of believers, if there's not a group of believers that knows you, that you're studying God's word with, that you're pursuing the Lord together with, that you're spurring on to love and good deeds with. I just was in my office. There's a group that meets in our, we don't have a lot of group space here. But there's a group that meets like in our, right next to my office over here. And... Um, it was just awesome to listen to them. I was just kind of rereading my notes and they're just talking about, they're confessing sin to one another. They're encouraging one another in the faith. It's just an awesome thing to see. If you don't have that in your life, then your, your growth in Christ is seriously going to be stunted. And so today we're actually talking about serving the church. That's our next uh, little line here. But, but this, is, this is easy. You know how a lot of times preachers give the application at the end of the sermon I'm going to go ahead and give it to you right now, okay? So if you want to leave early, you can leave. You know, no, don't leave. But, but here's what I, I really, there's two application points in, the, in your bulletin here. If you're not connected with a group, uh, you can use this QR code and you can find a group. We will help you find a group that meets at a time and a place that's convenient for you. And every Sunday, you know, we have the emphasis table. We talk about all these emphases and it changes. But every Sunday we have one for relational discipleship. Every, every Sunday we have one where you can go and you get plugged in with a group of believers. It's right out here. So you'd use that QR code. And then what we're talking about today is finding a practical means of serving the church. We ask all of our members to at least serve in some practical way, to serve our church in some practical way, at least one time a month. And there's a QR code right there for that. You can join a serve team. We'll get you trained and activated 
in the service of the Lord. So we're gonna talk about that today, but there's your application right there. That's what we want you to do. But at this time, let's turn our attention to the reading of God's word. We're gonna be in 1 Peter. And I, I really love this book of the Bible. Of course, it's written by the disciple of Jesus, Peter, who in so many ways um, I identify with and I, I just enjoy learning about his journey with our Lord. And so he's writing these things to churches in Asia Minor, and he's writing them under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and his real urgency in this, it was a time when those, when he was facing persecution, he was in Rome, he was about to die, and he's writing them just basically saying, stay the course, don't give up, keep following Jesus. It's, it's a wonderful letter, and we're just gonna look at one section today. But 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11 would you follow along with me as I read aloud the word of our Lord? First Peter 4, 7 through 11. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him, Belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. And we've been talking about our church and really what it means to be a healthy church. And, and you know, it's a fun time in our church. Church is growing. We have this new building. I think we have some great groups. We have a lot of mercy ministry going on. And, and as wonderful as all that is, none of that it makes us a healthy church. <laughs> Those are important things. I mean, I think we have great music. We try to be faithful in our preaching. Uh, we, we, we try to have good elder care. But again, as wonderful as those things are, we want great preaching and we want great music and good care. But, but, but that essentially doesn't really make us a healthy church. You know, ultimately, we are the church, the body of believers. And, and the thing that makes us a healthy body is that we love God. <laughs> As we know God, as we delight in God, that we delight in God. And in delighting in God, we, we love one another. We seek to live out his mission. That's, that's what makes us a healthy church. And really, that's what Peter's getting at here. <laughs> He's like, stay faithful to him. Do you, do you delight in God? Do you seek the glory of God? I love the way that this passage ends. You know, here's verse 11. This great ending. He's giving these instructions, and we're going to look at these instructions, but I want to bring you to the end first. It says, in order that in everything... God may be glorified. Because to him, because to God, what, what is his, what, what he deserves is glory and dominion forever and ever. God reigns. And so four things that we see in these instructions that I think are gonna be really helpful to us, and, and this is an ambitious sermon, so buckle up, let's go. But four things. Number one, the anchor of the Christian life. Number two, the Christian mind. Number three, the Christian heart. 
And then number four, the result of the Christian life. So let's look at the anchor. You know, your life needs an anchor. Whoever you are, Christian or not, you have to have something you're anchoring your life to, something that gets you out of bed in the morning, something that gives you an identity, gives you a purpose. You know, for some people, it's your children. You know, say, man, my children. That's That's what gets me out of bed every day. I love my kids. I want to take care of my kids. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good mom. For others, it's your career. You know, you, you've had great success in your career, and it's, that, that actually motivates you. You see a lot of purpose in that. You know, how much money maybe you have. You've been able to provide well. You have a sense of importance or notoriety. We all have that, that thing that we kind of grab at, that anchor that gives us a sense of identity, and it especially comes up when we're bothered. You know, some of you have heard me cite this little Saturday Night Live skit before, but it's Will Ferrell and Anna Gasteyer and Sarah Michelle Gellar, and they're this family meal. Now, this is old. This feels kind of recent, but it's actually 25 years old. It's 1998, so I'm old. But anyway, but they're eating dinner as a family, and if you've seen this skit before, if you haven't, it's worth watching. Maybe there's some bad language. I don't know. But anyway, they're eating dinner, and... um, and they start to get in these arguments. And Will Ferrell, the dad's trying to take control of his family and everybody's ignoring him. And he, and he finally says, you can't talk to me that way. I'm a division manager. People are scared of me, you know. And of course, Anna Gasteyer and Sarah Michelle Gellar who plays the little daughter totally ignore Will Ferrell. And finally, in a moment of exasperation and a moment of desperation to try to get his family's attention, he says, I drive a Dodge Stratus. And of course, I can't really do the skid justice, but you get the point. A lot of people have this feeling internally. I, I have this job. If you, if you knew what kind of job I had, you wouldn't treat me like this. If you knew how, other, how much other people admired me, if you know what I've done, it's, it's that place, it's that anchor. It's that place that gives you relief in a hard situation. Some of, for some of us, it may be like a, a past glory. You know, we can kind of go back there and remember how it was. Bruce Springsteen. I had a friend who was a baseball player back in high school. He could throw that baseball by you, make you look like a fool. I saw him the other night at the roadside bar. I was walking in. He was walking out. We went back inside, sat down, had a few drinks, but all he kept talking about was glory days. Some of y'all have friends like that. Some of you are that friend, you know. And you love talking about those glory days. It makes you feel good. Makes you feel important. It's a, it's a bit of an anchor for you. And actually, that's, what's appe- that's what Peter's appealing to here. He's saying you, you need an anchor, but the anchor that he sets forward, and I, I think that this is what he's doing here, is in verse 7. He says, look, the, the end of all things is at hand. He's saying to the church as here at Asia Minor, he's saying, remember who you are. Remember, remember what your real hope is. It's in the Lord. It's in the day of the Lord. You're going to be with the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. You're, you're going to be with the Lord. That's your anchor. That's your hope. Your, your life was meant to be with God, and, and that's coming. That's soon coming. Now, it's not fatalistic, and you'll see by the instructions, this is not fatalistic. He's not saying, look, the Lord's coming back, so do whatever. No, no, no. He, he's saying anchor your hope in the Lord. Anchor your hope in who you're going to be with the Lord. And from that will, will flow life. It'll control your thoughts. It'll control the way you love one another. Control what you do. It'll control how you use your gifts. It'll control everything. 
This impacts the way you treat one another. This impacts the way you understand your identity. Let your anchor be this, that the day of the Lord is at hand. Jonathan Edwards um, says it this way in his classic sermon, Heaven is a World of Love. Here's, here's how he describes God. I, I love this description. This is Edwards. He says, God is the fountain of love. As the sun is the fountain of light. Go outside on a clear day. He says, therefore, the glorious presence of God in heaven fills heaven with love as the sun placed in the midst of the visible heavens, the sky, on a clear day fills the world with light. The apostle tells us that God is love. And therefore, and I love this language, seeing that he's an infinite being, it flows that he is an infinite fountain of love. Seeing that he's an all-sufficient being, it flows that he is a full and ever-flowing and inexhaustible fountain of love. And seeing that he is an unchangeable and eternal being, he is an unchangeable and eternal fountain of love. What Peter is saying here is you've been invited, you've been invited to know God, to find an identity in this. So forget about your Dodge Stratus. Forget about your business success. Forget about how much money you have in the bank. Forget about your past glory days. You know, all of those things, in a sense, you're conjuring up an identity that you could say, am I worthy of love? Am I worthy of appreciation? And what is true of you if you're in Christ is this infinite, inexhaustible fountain of love that, you can, that you're invited to drink from forever is yours through Christ Jesus. And so, and so in that moment of escape, in that moment of anchoring, in that moment of identity that we, we all need, what Edwards is saying is anchor yourself there. Anch the day of the Lord is at hand, says Peter. A anchor yourself in God. Edwards goes on to say, that, <clears throat> here's how you access it. Turn then the streams of your thoughts and affections toward that world of love and toward the God of love that dwells there, and toward the saints and the angels that are at Christ's right hand. Let your thoughts also be much on the objects and enjoyments of the world of love. Commune much with God and Christ in prayer. And think often of all that is in heaven. Is, is that true of you? You know, Edwards in the same vein encourages people to spend 30 minutes a day thinking about heaven. Do we ever do that? I was just saying, no, think often of who you are in heaven and all that is in heaven, of all the friends who are there, all the praise and worship there, and all that will make of the blessedness of that world of love. Think of the fountain that is yours and how deeply and richly God loves you. This is what Peter is saying here. Anchor yourself in the Lord. The end of all things is at hand. Anchor yourself in the day of the Lord. And far from leading you to erratic behavior, this will lead you to faithful, God-honoring, normative New Testament behavior. It's not going to lead you to do these, you know, eccentric things. No, it'll lead you to just faithful following of Jesus. You know, Martin Luther was one time asked, what would you do today if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow? What would you do today if you knew Jesus was returning tomorrow? And Martin Luther said, I'd pay my taxes and plant a tree. And I love that response because, you know, if you think about it, it's like, well, what good is paying your taxes do you if Jesus is coming? I mean, don't pay your taxes with all respect to IRS agents here, you know. Don't plant a tree. I mean, you know, what, what is it? 
If Jesus is coming tomorrow, what good does it do you to plant a tree today? But what Luther was saying is, is that I always live as if Jesus is coming. Like, I, I always live in light of the Lord. Like, that's how I live. And so I'm just, if Jesus was coming tomorrow, I would just be faithful to do the things that I know he's called me to do because he is my life, he is my identity. And so I'm, I'm just gonna find my life and identity in obeying him. What is your anchor? Where are you anchored? Where are you anchored? The day of the Lord is at hand. You're gonna be with God. There's a fountain of infinite love awaiting you. Where are you anchored? Are you anchored in something less than that? Or are you anchored in this great thing that God has invited you to in Christ? And if you are, if we understand this, well then, we can move on to points two and three. So point two, the Christian mind. The Christian mind. And again, I know you're like, aren't we supposed to be talking about serving the church? We're getting there. But I want you to get how we get here. So the Christian mind. Now, this is important. Be self-controlled. Look at verse 7 again. Therefore, so as we are anchored here in the day of the Lord and the love of God and the glory of God, so we therefore be self-controlled, sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Now, this is one of these texts. You say, well, what, what is it saying here? If you have the NIV, it says be alert and sober-minded. The KJV says be sober and watch unto prayer. Anytime you see that the idea is not really translating into English very simply, you, you know something's kind of up here. I think what Peter is saying here is this. I think it's related to the end of all things is at hand, right? So therefore, right? So you have to relate those two. What are you saying here is we live in a crazy world. <laughs> we live in a world that'll jerk you this way or that way. But if you live in light of the day of the Lord, you won't be out of control, You'll be able to pray rightly. You'll be sober-minded. You'll be self-controlled. This is very important. This is, this is the Christian mind. This is very important if you want to understand Christianity. And there's so much I want to say here, but I have to be concise. One of the things that we understand as Christians is the reign of Christ, right? So we believe in the reign of Christ. We believe that Jesus is reigning, right? We believe he has authority in the entire Universe and, and what we believe what it means to be a Christian is to live today under the reign of Christ in the same way that one day everything will be under his reign, right? So we live today as if Jesus has the same kind of authority that he will one day show over the entire cosmos or the entire universe. Hebrews 2, I want to show you this passage, is really, really helpful to understand these things. So this is a, it starts off with a praise to God. It says, you made him, him being Jesus, for a little while lower than the angels. So this is talking about the condescending Jesus. He came down, he became a man. He was made lower than the angels. Of course, he died for our sins. He was raised from the dead. And so now God, this, you in this sentence is God, you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. And then the author of Hebrews kind of doubles down. He says, now, in putting everything in subjection, he left nothing outside of his control. So it's like, if you didn't understand that everything is under Jesus, there's nothing that's not under Jesus, right? Everything is under the authority of Jesus. That's what we believe as believers, that Christ is actually the king of the entire universe. But this next sentence, you have to have it, is very important. At present, we're living in an age. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him. If you don't understand Hebrews 2, 7, and 8, 
you really can't understand how to think as a Christian. So we, we as Christians know that Christ has authority over all things, but at present, that hasn't been yet shown yet. One of the things we often talk about is the kingdom of Christ. And I think this is a very important idea. If this is new to you, this will transform the way you think as a Christian. This is what Peter is talking about in 1 Peter. How do we think in this sober-minded and self-controlled way? Well, it's understanding the already and not yet of the kingdom, okay? So we live in this age. And in this age... There's sin, and in this age, there's wars, and there's division, and there's pain, and there's sorrow, and there's all the miseries of this life that we have to endure. We believe that Christ, in his resurrection, has inaugurated a new age, the age to come, where in the coming days, he will show his victory over all things. He will, he will wipe away every tear. He will mend every sorrowful heart. He will do away with all sin. He will crush all evil. He will make all things new. And we live now in this age, right? This is the already not yet. We're living right now in this age under the authority of Christ, recognizing, and they say that y'all get dizzy if I scroll too fast, so let me scroll really slow. But but recognizing that at present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, right? So one day, everything we will see in the age to come, everything in subjection to Christ. But in this age, we don't fully see yet. We're still living out the reign of Christ. The, the reign, if you will, you can say it this way, the kingdom of Christ is still growing. We know the mystery. <laughs> we know the mystery that the Messiah has come, that the Savior of the world has come, that the ruler of all ages has come, and he is our Lord. But that mystery is still, if you will, being revealed until, of course, the return of Christ, until the coming ages. Now, if you get that, this is why this is so important for the Christian mind. If you get that, you'll be sober-minded and self-controlled. When life is crazy... When, you, when, when every news cycle is going insane and you're like, what is wrong with the world? When you're seeing the, the fallenness of this age, you'll remember, oh, Jesus reigns. <laughs> I have a king over all this. And so you can be sober-minded and self-controlled in this age. You'll know how to pray in this age. Now, there's, there's another side to this, though. There's another side. So on one side, we can have peace. We, we can say with the old hymn writer, it is well with my soul. Even though Satan should buffet and trials should come, I know that Christ has regarded my selfless estate. He has shed his own blood for my soul, and he reigns. He's invited me into this fountain of love. But on the other side, you have to understand that, this, that we are still in this age. There's a kind of a form of the Christian gospel, which is the health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. And, and, and the problem with, with that kind of type of preaching or that type of interpretation of the scripture is it's, it's, it's too much trying to grab things in this age to, to this age. It's saying, look, if Christ really is victorious, then you shouldn't be sick. If Christ really is victorious, then you should be wealthy. If Christ is victorious, you should live a long life. It's, it's saying, look, we, we believe in these things, but that's what we would call that is an over-realized eschatology. No, for God's purposes, we, we actually still live in this age. God has left us in this age. And all of the promises of God are true. We know that they're coming. There, there will be a time where no one dies. There will be a time where there's just an abundance 
of things that the Lord has supplied for us, but that is in the coming ages. You know, I love how Al Mohler says this, never trust a prosperity preacher that's under 200 years old. And, and what he's saying, and he's exactly right, it's not that the prosperity gospel promises too much, it, it's actually that it promises too little. <laughs> what good does a nice car get you when you could have the eternal wealth of God? And that's what's coming to you in Christ. What good does, you know, you know, coming over a disease get you? And again, the Lord does. There are evidences because of the already not yet. There, there are, you know, we believe that there are evidences of God's kindness, you know, coming down into this age. So we, we see that. But when the Lord doesn't answer that prayer, it's not because you don't have enough faith. It's because God is working out his purposes in this age. And, and there will be a coming victory in this age. God is making himself perfect in our weaknesses in this age so that he can show his glory in the coming ages. This is the already and not yet. And understanding this will keep you sober-minded and self-controlled. You'll be able to pray rightly. You'll be able to approach the world rightly. But that leads us to the third point. And really this is where I want to spend most of my time. And that is the Christian heart. So we're anchored in the day of the Lord. We know that the day of the Lord is coming, and so that keeps us sober-minded and self-controlled. But also, it impacts our hearts. So let's look at verse 8 together. So in light of this, in light of the day of the Lord, above all, keep loving one another, and I love this word here, earnestly. The uh, NIV says deeply. The KJV says fervently. The Greek is ektenes, and it really means this. It's love one another with your will. Not when it's easy, not when it feels great. Love one another with your will. Make it your will to love one another. Even when it is hard, we love one another. And this leads, he talks about here kind of three manifestations of this. The covering of love, the, what I'm going to call the trouble of love, We'll get to this. And then the service of love. The service of love. So let's look at the covering of love. So we love one another earnestly, and that will lead to this kind of love, because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, this isn't saying that love atones for a multitude of sins. Now, it was God's love that led him to send Jesus, who lived a righteous life, who died an atoning death, who overcame that death in the power of his resurrection, that atones for our sin. It's Christ's blood. It's Christ's sacrifice for us that atones for sin. That's not really what this is saying. It's saying that love, in a sense, when we love each other, when we understand who we are in light of who we will be, sin won't divide us so easily. Love will cover our sins. Love will protect us from our sins. Love will keep us unified. If you remember Dr. Smith was here, uh, Robert Smith was here a few weeks ago, and he said, man, I just figured we're going to be spending eternity together, so I figured I better start getting to know you guys. And there's something to that that's totally right. We're going to be spending eternity together. And if you really understand that, if you really understand who you are in the day of the Lord, then all of a sudden these people around you become incredibly important. And there will be a will to love them, even when they annoy you, even when they're bothersome, even when they're sinful against you. That's what this is talking about. You know, we're going to sin against each other. We're going to bother each other. 
We're, we're not always gonna necessarily like one another, but love, the will to love in light of who we are on the day of the Lord covers a multitude of sin. And so we look past sin. We're not always exploiting our victimhood. When there is sin, we go to one another in gentleness, trying to bring about repentance and reconciliation. Now, occasionally there's you know, a wolf in our midst that needs to be dealt with. And of course, we see the Lord has given us church discipline for those things. But there's the normal posture of the Christian life is diligent and willful love that covers and is gentle with and is not divisive toward the sin of one another. But it's also with the end in mind, understanding the Christian heart, we also understand the trouble of love, which is the second part of this, the trouble of love. Verse nine, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now the word for hospitality, very interesting word that they use here. I don't know what your translation says. I didn't look up a bunch of translations on this word, but I did look to Greek. It's philoxenos. And you can kind of hear it in the word, philoxenos. So philo, like Philadelphia, the city of brother love. It's one of the Greek words for love. And then xenos, kind of hear it in that word too, like xenophobia, right? Hear what it's saying? It's saying love the foreigner. Like show hospitality. Love the person that's hard to love. Love the person that's different than you. Love the foreigner. Show hospitality without grumbling. Now, the reason I called this the trouble of love is because we have this little phrase we like to say in the South. You know, somebody will come into your house and they'll say, you know, you sure it's, you sure I can stay the night with you? You sure you want to like make the bed and have to wash the sheets and I'm going to eat your food and, you know, use your bathroom? Are you sure? And you know what we say? You know what we say in the South? We're showing hospitality. We say, it's no trouble. It's no trouble. Now, it is actually trouble, (laughs) You are actually like having to do all these extra chores and do all this stuff, but it's no trouble. It's no trouble. Why? Because they're a friend or they're a family member or whatever. What this is saying is, look, in Christ, it's no trouble. We're showing hospitality to one another without grumbling because we see ourselves, this is a cousin, <laughs> this is a brother, this is, this is his family. It's no trouble. It's no trouble. Our, our, our futures and our destinies are tied to one another. You know, Martin Luther King, in his famous I Have a Dream speech, he was addressing uh, the, the white people that were in the crowd. And he said, many of our white brothers, as evidenced by their presence here today, have come to realize that their destiny is tied up with our destiny. And they've come to realize that their freedom is inextricably bound to our freedom. And he was right. You know, as citizens of a common nation, all of our freedom and destiny, it's, 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 it's to some degree bound together, but how much more as citizens of the eternal kingdom of Christ? And so it's no trouble. It's no trouble to, to serve and to love and to show hospitality without grumbling. And then the final form of this, again, above all, keep loving one another earnestly, diligently, willfully, and that leads us to really what the whole sermon's about, the service of love. Now, the reason I spent all of this time on this, I'm going to tell you why I spent all this time. You'll never serve well unless you, you kind of see how we got here. If your service is just to serve, it's a membership requirement, or I want to use my gifts or whatever, you'll never do it rightly. You only really serve to the glory of God when the day of the Lord is in mind and the love of other is in mind. That will frame up how we use our gifts. 
any other kind of service, you end up exploiting your gifts for yourself or for your own good. You want to be seen. You want to be praised. You want to be thanked. You want to get the good seed or whatever it is. You have to follow this pathway to get to actually what really motivates our service, and that is love. Love for God, our understanding of who we are in him, and love for one another. So verse 10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. I love this, as good stewards of God's varied grace. So three ideas in this. We don't even have to, you don't have to put them up on the screen, but if you're following the outline, this is, well, you can put those up there. This is like the little eye. Now we're, we're, there's an outline if you've been taking notes. I'm using proper outline, whatever that is, notology or whatever. But the gifts of Christ, the gift, you've all been gifted. You've all been gifted. In the Lord, you have been gifted. Now, there's a lot in Scripture about spiritual gifts, and I like this definition. Wayne Grudem, a systematic theologian, he says this. This is a really helpful definition. He says, a spiritual gift is any talent or ability which is empowered by the Holy Spirit and able to be used in the ministry of the church. It's any talent or ability empowered by the Holy Spirit, able to be used in the ministry of church. You know, there's five, some people will make a big deal out of this. And, and you know, again, I'm not trying to pick any fights today, but you know, there's five different lists of spiritual gifts in the New Testament. I put them up there on the screen. None of them are exhaustive. They're all different from one another. So, you know, I don't believe that there are like these spiritual gifts, right? I believe I'm with Grudem, right? I mean, it, the, the lists don't work that way. They're, they're, they're not so specific like that. I think what he's saying is from the Holy Spirit, God has given you various gifts and you can use them. You're, you're, you're called to use them as we understand who we are in the Lord, as we understand our love for one another in the body of Christ, we're called to use them to serve the church. In fact, this is a list right here, but it's a very short list. Verse 11, whoever speaks is one who speaks the oracles of God, and whoever serves is one who serves in the strength that God supplies. Well, we're not supposed to think that speaking and serving, whatever serving means, I mean, are the, this is not an exhaustive list. It's not meant to list out every spiritual gift. What, what the point is, is that we've all been gifted. We've all been called to use these gifts to serve one another. The Spirit of God has gifted us to serve the church. Now, another thing about spiritual gifts, and if you're, you're hearing this, and if you're new to church, and we're talking about the Holy Spirit, now sometimes I believe, and I want to tell you a story, <clears throat> that spiritual gifts come in a supernatural way. But that's not always the case. I was... Um, uh, I was leading this. In fact, it's, it's not even necessarily in the normative case. But it's still spiritual, and I want to explain. I was um, leading this preaching conference one time in India. I was over there preaching these guys. It was in Ladakh, northern India. And it was all these guys that had come to faith, and they were all starting churches, and they needed to know how to preach. And so I went over there, and I led this little preaching seminar. And I was given my little, like, this is how you preach a sermon. And um, there was this one guy. His name was Abbas, okay? And Abbas had severe, I mean, this is northern India, there's no great health care. He had severe Tourette's syndrome, okay? And some of you, I mean, maybe some people here today, you struggle from Tourette's, or you have friends that do, but he, he, there was no medication, there was no way he could control it, so we'd have these, you know, big outbursts, I mean, these very overt outbursts with the Tourette's syndrome. It was very difficult, but it, it, it was so difficult that it actually made it kind of difficult for me to even teach. You know, I'd be teaching and he'd have a big outburst and you know, you could tell he felt bad about it, but that's just the way it was, was a boss. And so we're going along and I'm like, man, I don't know who this a boss guy is. And 
So I'm getting to know the guys. I was there for like four days. I'm getting to know the guys and I would ask them, well, how did you come to faith in Christ? How did you learn the gospel? And they'd all be like, a boss told me about Jesus. And I'd be like, a boss, a boss, like that guy. And they're like, yeah, he told me about Jesus. I came to faith. Oh, okay. How did you? A boss, a boss, a boss. So it's the last day, and the last day we're going to preach. I mean, you know, it's a preaching class, so everybody's got to preach their sermon that we've been working on. And I'm trying to work with a boss, and I'm like, man, this is going to be bad. And he gets up there. He stands up there. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. No sign of Tourette's. And he, with the most clear conviction and boldness, just starts preaching, and all the guys are locked in. Now, I can't explain that. I can't, I don't know. I can't explain that except for a supernatural anointing of the Holy Spirit on a boss. And for whatever reason, I mean, you know, you look, at, you look at a thing like that, that gets back to our whole mind of Christ. For whatever reason, God decided I'm not going to heal this guy, but I'm going to anoint him in such a way that my strength will be made perfect even in his weakness. And I'm, I've never seen anything like that. Now, I got back, and I was telling a friend about this. And my friend was like, well, golly, think of all the money and the time that you spent training and going to school trying to become a preacher. You, you could have just been anointed, you know. But, but what I'm trying to, the point I want you to hear is I don't believe that any of that training and money and time and whatever influences my life was not from the Holy Spirit. It wasn't supernatural, it was a more natural means, but it was the spirit-given means that has given me the gifts that, that I have. And the truth of the matter is, whether you see it as from God or not, all of you have gifts. And the more you understand yourself as someone who is drinking from the fountain of God, someone who's living for the day of the Lord, the more, the more you understand your true identity, not as someone that drives a Dodge Stratus or that used to throw great fastballs or that is really successful business, the more you understand yourself as a child of God, the more you realize all these gifts that I have that God has actually given me are for him. Not to just use on myself and not to just exploit for my own identity. So the gift, we all have gifts. And then number two, the variation of the gifts. Now I want you to see something. I think this is very interesting. We use this little personality um, test. And um, so this is not necessarily spiritual giftedness, but it just shows how differently wired people are. We just had an elders retreat. and We gave all our elders this test. And I think this is so interesting. We have, there's 19 different personality types. We have 26 elders that cover 15 of the different personality types. I was encouraged by that. There's, that. That means that there's 15 different kind of ways of thinking, approaching things. And, and, and this is really what you want your body to be like, variously gifted. This is the variety of God's graces to his church. Not everybody's approaching things the same way. Not everybody's gifted in the same way. And that's actually the beauty of the body. I love the analogy of the body. It works in so many different ways. Ways. An eyeball is amazing. I mean, think about an eyeball. We have these little things in our heads that allow us to see, but an eyeball makes a lousy foot. You know, think about the femur. What an amazing bone. I mean, it's, it's incredible. A long, big old, sturdy bone. Grateful for it. You can stand up tall with a femur, but a femur makes a lousy tongue, right? And your nose, again, what, what, how great is it to have a nose to be able to smell? But again, a nose makes a lousy knee. The, the body is different. There's various parts of the body, and that's actually what makes the body good and strong. And this leads us to the last point, which is the purpose of the gifts. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. 
As each receives a gift from God, use it to serve one another, not for the sake of yourself, as a good steward of God's varied grace. And so if you speak, speak as one who speaks for the Lord. If you serve, serve as one who serves with the strength that God supplies. Here's the deal, again, as I just said. You've all been gifted, and God has done that in your life. And the more you understand who you are in God, and the more you understand you're a part of this body, the more and more and more you use the gifts that God has entrusted you to serve his people, to love his people. The more and more you'll understand this identity of a child of God that God wants to use as an ambassador in this world. Now, our little ask, <laughs> our little ask at Christ's covenant, if you fill out the QR code, is just serve you know, once a month in some practical way. Now, that's a good thing. It serves the church. It meets the practical needs of the church. But the real reason we ask you to do that, I want you to hear this, is so for those of you that this is new, you'll start exercising that little muscle of service. You know, we don't, I don't want to make too big of a deal of this. I think it's important to pass out bulletins. But I don't think that God, like, has uniquely gifted you to be able to smile and do this. That's a, that's, a, that's a gift. Most of us have the gift. Most of you all are spiritually gifted with the ability to do this. Um, and that's something from the Lord. And we, we should, everything's from the Lord. Everything's spiritual. But as you start doing that, you'll start to learn, you know what? Everything's not about me. <laughs> oh, I'm here actually today to not serve myself, but to serve these people. You'll start flexing that muscle. And you know what it'll do? It'll change the way you serve at home. It'll change the way you serve in your workplace. And the Lord, through that, through his body, the Lord will start to affirm other gifts in your life. Oh, you know, God's given you this gift. God's given you that gift. The Lord will start putting callings on your life. You'll start to see, oh, this is, <laughs> this is how the Lord wants to use my life, my whole life, for his purpose. So I hope you don't get to the end of the sermon and think, okay, I'll check this one off. I'll start doing the bulletin team. No, no, no. That's, that's just a, that's a rhythm. That's a discipline. That's a pathway to get you into this mindset of understanding who you are and why you've been gifted and what God is doing in your life. And that brings us lastly to the result of all this, the result of the Christian life. And I love the end there. What's the result of all of this? So that Christ may be glorified. That God may be glorified. Because to him, I love the doxology at the end, to him, who deserves all the glory? Who deserves all the honor or the praise? It's to him. You know the most gifted person to ever live? Most gifted. Most spiritually gifted person to ever live. You know the person most in tune with the Holy Spirit's ministry in his life? You know the person most gifted ever? It was our Lord Jesus. Nobody, nobody can stand up and say, oh, I have more spiritual gifts than Jesus. Most spiritually gifted person ever. Most in tune with the Holy Spirit. And of course, yes, he gifted us with his preaching. It was amazing and eloquent. And he served the church. He served God's people through miracles. And came to the downtrodden. He came to the least among us and did these amazing miracles and served them with compassion and love. He served by disciple making. But you know how he most profoundly served the church? It was in the worst way. It was by giving his life. He did the thing that no one else wanted to do. <laughs> he did the thing that nobody else could do. He ran into the most horrible thing because he realized, you know, his, his gifts, he, he was able to leverage them in love for his church that ultimately God and as God was glorified that he would be glorified in all this. And that, that's the same is true of you. 
you know, as we run to the hard places, as we run to the difficult things, that's actually what shows maturity in Christ. Not necessarily noble callings. It's, it's the difficult callings. It's the callings that really show love and a love for God. That's where God receives so much glory. And the good news is, is that as God receives glory, if you're in him, if you're living for the day of the Lord, with him you receive glory. That's the whole point. As we lift up our Lord, as we lift up the glory of God, as we are with him, as we know him, as our identity is in him, we are lifted up too, don't you see? And so may we find our identity in the day of the Lord. It may this lead us to be a people that think rightly, that love rightly, and that desire God's glory rightly. Let's pray. Father, I, I ask for your help in my life. I pray I would not be a man that exploits the gifts that I've been given for my own good. I pray that I would not be a man that finds an identity in my accomplishments here and there, but Lord, I pray that, that I would be a person, and I pray this for all of us, that we would be a people that see ourselves as who we will be on the day of the Lord, that we live under your reign, we live for your glory, we, we draw from this fountain of love, that, that would be our source, that would be our guide, Lord, that this inexhaustible fountain of love that you, that you are and that you invite us into, into fellowship with yourself through Jesus. And then, Lord, as, as we are gifted and as you have entrusted us, you have asked us to steward these varied graces. I pray we would find great purpose in serving you, your church, your people. Father, give us humble hearts to this end. May we be good stewards of these varied graces in our lives. Again, not for our own glory, but for your glory. Because Lord, it is you who deserve all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. Turn our hearts towards you, I ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's meditate on these things. Uh, I want to meditate on these things. I, if this is a moment where you need to get real with the Lord, repent of something in your life. Uh, maybe just spend some time in worship to ask the Lord to reveal your heart. Let's meditate on these things as we stand and as we sing.